Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last. This is episode 170 of Beyond Synth, and uh, Marco's here. My name's Marco Marrick. Hey, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) How you going, Andy? I'm going all right, man. So today on the show is The Midnight. Uh, This was the interview I recorded with them when uh, they were in Toronto. That was about a month ago. Was that the same night you recorded an interview with Ollie Ride when you were in the dark or something? No, that was the next week. (laughs) Ah, oh, the week after, the week after, all right. But just so no one gets confused, that doesn't mean it's next week's show, because I've recorded a whole bunch of shows that I'm, I've am i been, like, shuffling around. Mm-hmm. Next year, I'm going to try and really get my act together with the organization, because so far, I have I have enough shows now that go right up till Christmas. Mm-hmm. Every week, I keep shuffling around the order, so I'm like, oh, this is the week that I'm going to do this show, and then I'm like, ah, oh, no, I'll do this one, and, and it, who cares? No mm-hmm. one cares about this. <laughs> <laughs> organization talk. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool that you got so much backlogged and saved up. So much cool stuff coming up. And I'm sort of opening up to the the arts community and stuff, mm-hmm. like the visual arts. Uh, so I'm going to be hopefully doing a show with Blood and Chrome. Oh, sick. In the next little while. And of course, we did uh, Mizu Cats. And I have a few more planned because I want to do more like more shows like that as well, because obviously the art is such a big thing in the in the synthwave community as well. And, mm. and I very rarely talk to the visual artists. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when I was uh, when I was doing Synthetic Sundays, I talked to uh, a few uh, graphic designers as well. There is some real talented uh, bastards in the scene, you know. But yeah, no, there are for sure, and I like look forward to uh, talking with a lot more of them because I think uh, that'll be cool. But now let's get the show started. So here's a wicked track. Meteor just put out a new album. Uh, the album is called White Crows, and this song is kick-ass. This is Overload by Meteor.
No, that yes, that was Meteor, the group. <laughs> that was Meteor, by Meteor. That was Meteor from the album White Crows. That track is called Overload. He gave me an extra download code. Maybe I can uh, give it away. Yeah, I'll take it. No. <laughs> I'm actually a pretty big fan of his. Uh, I love his music. Email beyondsynth at gmail.com. Say, Andy, I would like a code for Meteor's album, and the first one I get is the person who's going to get the code. And, of course, that song was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters and I have to do a huge shout out this week Chris Dance has just donated the most generous amount to the Patreon. So Chris Dance is an amazing guy. His credit card was, like, uh, not functioning properly. So there was a few months there where he disappeared from my list because he forgot to, like, update his thing. And so he said he's going to make up for it with what he calls the... He's kicking it up to 1.21 gigawatts. Uh, so so thank you very much, Chris Dance. Lump uh, some payment. Yeah, no, well, he's a very generous dude. So he's just donated 88 bucks to the Patreon. On, and uh, right. Chris Dance is a is a wonderful fellow, and he sent me a Doctor Who gif of uh, Tom Baker rubbing his nose because uh, he knows <laughs> I like Doctor Who. Anyway, so look, uh, if you want to support the show like the awesome Chris Dance, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash beyondsynth, and uh, you don't have to be as generous as Chris Dance, but I just... Maybe we should just talk about Chris Dance for the rest of the show. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like obliged to now. So, um, yeah, man, Chris Dance... High five, buddy. Well, look, man, I want to, uh, obviously, Halloween was last week. Yeah. Now, did you have a good Halloween? That's okay. My son's terrible at Halloween. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, he's, he doesn't get excited about, like, I don't know if Aww. kids these days, uh, I don't want to, oh, I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm the kids these days guy. No, it's like, uh, he doesn't run up to the house. He just kind of walks slowly. I have to keep on, like, pointing to which houses he should go to mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, he would just keep walking. And I don't know if, like, the incentive for a bag of candy just isn't there. But, like, when I was a kid, dude, we get a fucking pillowcases full of candy and you just fucking ran. Like, you, you ran house to house because you just wanted to get as much candy 
candy as possible. As much as you can, yeah. It, you know, I came from a household where my dad, maybe I've told you this, but he was, he was big into like health food, but he wasn't like great at making it. Mm-hmm. He wanted to eat healthy, but like it was never good. Like my friends used to make fun of me when they saw our, our dinners, you know, like I would always go to my friend's houses and just be envious of them having normal meals. Like, oh, they're having like steak and potatoes, you know, and like just standard fucking North American dinner. Mm. But like I would see that and be like, oh, I want that. My dad would always be making this weird like burnt broccoli soup and stuff. And mm. like he wants to eat healthy, but he also doesn't care too much about cooking. So he'd always just kind of leave the room and things would just burn and stuff. And like, and I was just like, this is bad. And he says, no, this is great. And he'd like try and big up the meal, even though like clearly it was a terrible meal. So when you, so I guess when you invite your friends over for dinner, none of them would ever turn up then, huh? Yeah, like I, I never did. Like they, they just knew, like they would always see like, what's your dad cooking? They'd look in just like this weird pot of green colored soup with chickpeas floating in it or something. And they're like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know. It's <laughs> like, so not attractive when you're a kid. <laughs> You know what would be great would be to have a personal chef. That's what I would do if I was rich, man. I'd have a personal chef, and then I would eat as healthy as possible, Mm. right? Because then you just literally pay the guy and just like, just make me the most delicious vegetarian dishes. Because I don't know how to do that. I only know, like, meat, just because meat, you fry it, and it just tastes good. Mm. Yeah. But uh, you want to make, like, vegetables taste good, you have to actually, like, do it, work at it. And I don't want (laughs) to work at anything, man. I just want to listen to some more cool music, and that's what we're going to do. So, yeah, we had makeup and vanity he said on the show a few months ago what episode was that that was episode number 157 and at the end we talked a bit about his new collaboration with uh, Jasmine Cassett called You Drive and this is a cool track from You Drive it's a great album uh, all the way around it's got a cool vibe and she's got a cool voice and this track is called Hold On by You Drive
And that was You Drive with the track Hold On. And that's a cool one. Uh, Makeup and Vanity set behind that project with Jasmine Cassett. And that's cool. And that, of course, was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters. You know, Pattern Shift wants you all to check out Chiptunes for Autism. So go to chiptunesforautism.bandcamp.com. That's C-H-I-P-T-U-N-E-S-4, the number four, and then the word autism.bandcamp.com. They make uh, chiptune music, and they sell the albums, and the proceeds go towards a good cause. And uh, you should go check it out. That's Chiptunes for Autism. That's what Pattern Shift wants me to say. And then, of course, check out the music of Pattern Shift at patternshift.bandcamp.com. And, of course, we're going to do a show with Pattern Shift uh, in a few weeks. And that was a fun one to record. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And look, man, there's some new activity on the Patreon. And I forgot to mention it last week. So where's that uh, fucking jingle? guys we got some new uh patrons man so with uh with the five bucks there's danny g thank you danny g for supporting beyond synth you're a cool guy and uh making beyond synth possible and we have a new donor uh in the ten dollar club it's johnny five that's right johnny five like the robot thanks johnny five you're a super cool guy or robot for you, from Stephanie. All natural granola brownies. No preservatives or additives. Oh, mm. that's the real one. That's the real number two. Uh, number five. Number five. Please, call me Johnny Five. And that's uh, pretty much all I have to say about that. And uh, I forgot to say this at the top of the show, but we'll be doing uh, promo theory with color theory. And that's where I chat with uh, Brian Hazard of color theory. And we talk about music promo and stuff. And today we'll be talking about Patreon. So it's a very Patreon themed show today. And that's uh, yeah, man. And then of course, we'll be uh, chatting with uh, the midnight later in the show. So good stuff. Do you have time for me to play a song at some point? Do you want to play a song? <laughs> I would love to, yes. An album just came out that I'm really enjoying. All right, well, tell me about it, man. All right, well, Protector 101, who's no stranger to the show, uh, brought out an album. Uh, this has been a long time coming. I think it's been about a year. Um, there's been a lot of hold-ups with it, but it's called Paramnesia. It isn't a soundtrack to anything. This is just all uh, all his own stuff. There's a lot of good collaborations. I uh, literally just came out. It's available at protector101.bandcamp.com. I did get to play the track, which is called Catatonia, uh, which I want to play on the show. I did get to play that at Blazing Swan when I was in Australia. I did it for the Church of Belligerence, which is one of the camps, and they had a massive church set up with a fire, and it was really cool out in the desert at night. It was just blaring out the speakers. It was really, really cool. So, yeah, and a quick shout-out to Church of Belligerence as well. To who? Who are you shouting out here? Church of Belligerence. Church of Belligerence. Yeah. What is Church of Belligerence? Is that a place? It's a camp at Blazing Swan, and hopefully they will be attending at Burning Man next year. So we're hopefully... What, what the fuck here. is Blazing Swan? It's the uh, Australian equivalent of Burning Man. You know what that is? I know what Burning Man is, but like... Yeah, it's like the Australian equivalent of Do it. they yeah. burn a big swan? Yeah, they literally burn a big swan. Um, <laughs> I posted some photos. Did you see me... Uh, Driving around on the oh, uh, that's Mad right. Max vehicle. Yeah, all that stuff. That's right. Those pictures were hilarious because I always make fun of Australia being like Mad Max and then like, 
and then you sent these pictures over and they literally were like Mad Max. <laughs> like, it was like, okay, I guess that that is Australia. <laughs> I know, it was pretty random. I've never been anything like that before, but mm. uh, it was rather suitable, yes. Cool. Um, so what song are we listening from uh, Jake's uh, album? Catatonia. Catatonia. I hope uh, everyone likes it as much as I do. Cool, man. This is Catatonia by Protector 101.
And that was Catatonia by Protector 101. And that's a cool song. That's from the album Paramnesia, Marco's pick of the week here. I should say that that song was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters, Jacob Wick with the 4488. And in the $25 club, man, there's Clint Dowling, there's Lucas Ceballos, and Chris Williams. You people are all great, aren't they, Marco? Yeah, pretty fucking awesome, man. (laughs) (laughs) I got to admit. Yeah, no, they're definitely uh, really awesome people. And now, speaking of cool people, uh, I'm going to go chat with Color Theory. Today, we do a little segment on uh, Patreon. So if you enjoy hearing that word, you're going to hear it a lot more. So here is is Promo Theory uh, by... No, by. It's not a... It's a segment. (laughs) Fuck me. And we're here with Color Theory for another promo theory with Mr. Brian Hazard. Hey, what's going on? Uh, last time you came on the show, this is the segment where you uh, you come in and uh, talk to me about uh, promotion tips and stuff with music. And we were talking about Facebook ads last time. So what's on tap this week? Well, I get asked a lot, uh, and you probably do too, about Patreon. Mm. You know, when should I launch a Patreon? When should I launch a Patreon? Just that same question over and over again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if you have a stock <laughs> answer. I, I've got, I've got a stock answer. Sure. <laughs> well, what, what, do you, what do you tell them? Oh, um, <laughs> so. well, my my Patreon advice is if I'm allowed to have Patreon advice when I compare myself to some of these people who you know get like fucking for some reason I always watch the red letter media uh, <laughs> Patreon just because I watch their videos and so I'm always curious and I think they're up to like 28,000 a month now which is which is very yeah. very impressive and it's inspiring yeah. like I'm not jealous I, I'm actually inspired when I see Patreons like that I'm like wow man but then I do the math and I just think well you think about that for a second I mean they have like 700,000 plus uh, uh, subscribers on YouTube yeah. that translates to about 3,000 patrons so mathematically it's a very tiny percent, but they also went in there with a huge viewership, yeah. right? Because they do these Star Wars reviews that, you know, like fucking millions of views, right? So so that's what put them on the map. So in my humble little position of a Patreon that's doing okay, my only advice is patience. Yeah. When I started the Patreon, I did say that if it doesn't go anywhere, like I won't be able to produce the show as often. Yeah. Because that means I have to take other jobs and I just don't have time. Right. So if the Patreon sits at like 20 bucks, I'm not going to be able to do the show every week like that's something that's going to have to be scaled back but i'm still going to do it because i'm compelled to do it right so i said patience when i started it looks nice now but the patreon's been going for a year and a half i went in with an audience a small audience but an audience so there's a lot of people who wanted to support the show and would would message me and go like you selling merch or you doing this and that so there's people out there that want to help out and so it just slowly builds my patreon fluctuates which happens like it just it kind of goes up and down so i think about it like the stock market it's like be patient don't be too concerned about where it's at at the start because like you're gonna have a month where it's like you start off and you get like you know six bucks and then it might be it might be six bucks for like four months and then a few other people hop in and then it might go to you know you might have 12 for a while and then one month you might just get like 50 bucks more and like you just have to sit there and wait it's sort of like a long game i think the more people that see that people like what you do it sort of proves that you have something of value yeah absolutely that's sort of a thing that i never really considered i always thought oh if your patreon's sitting at zero dollars people are going to feel bad for you and they're going to want to give you money 
but it's the opposite. It's like if, right. so, if someone goes to your Patreon and sees that no one's giving you any money, then it might mean that maybe the thing that you're offering is no good, right? And it, look, the exactly. thing you're offering might be great, but it looks on the surface like why aren't why is no one buying this thing? <laughs> yep. It's like if you walk past a grocery store and there's all these like really nice looking apples, but they've been there for like a week, you're kind of like, okay, what's going on here? Like, why is no one buying these apples? Like, it's like the right. shelf's always fucking full and they look great, but why is no one buying them? And then you start to suspect like, oh, there's fucking worms in them and stuff. So <laughs> be patient. Don't expect a lot of money at once. All the creators that you follow that have a ton of money on Patreon went into it with an audience. Like when Red Letter Media started their Patreon, they already had these Star Wars reviews that are getting millions of views. And right. they already have like this movie review show that they do on a weekly basis. And so it's like, and, and also a podcast you and I both listen to, like I've had uh, Dr. Steve Novella on the show from yep. the Skeptics Guide. Skeptics Guide, right. They started a Patreon. Their podcast, I think their podcast is in the, like the hundreds, thousands of listeners. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they're sitting. You know, they started a Patreon. They have 100,000 listeners. And like within, I think it took them a month to get like 3,000 patrons. Yeah. I think they're up to 3,000 or they might even be like 2,000, but that's a lot of people. When you do the math, you go, okay, well, 2,000 people there and the lowest donation is option is, I forget how much. I think it was five bucks because I, I think I support 20 creators about mm-hmm. and I don't think I supported them or maybe it was, um you know, Stephen Novella also has Science-Based Medicine, the website that I read and I wanted to support them and I think it was five bucks minimum too and that was a little rich for my blood when I have all these other yes. guys that I'm supporting. So No, it makes sense. And so I would say that's an advantage and so don't compare yourself like I don't compare myself to the successful Patreons I just look at them with with admiration and and it allows me to go hey man it's possible right and so that that keeps me going and offer a low tier option because like I think the ideal place to be with a Patreon would be a lot of donors donating a little amount just like a presidential campaign right yeah (laughs) because yeah because it makes sense right because it's like if someone's just giving you a dollar a month I'm not asking any of my patrons to change their donation like i've got some very generous and awesome patrons but obviously when someone is donating to my patreon for example at the 25 dollar level i know that's not sustainable you know what i mean like that's going to stop that's a gym membership yeah yeah and when that stops my patreon goes down 25 bucks which is a hit whereas like if you just had a whole bunch of people who donate a dollar it's like they're probably never gonna stop right because it's just a buck who cares like that's fucking that's not even a coffee a month that's not even a coffee a month and most of the time when people donate a dollar i don't think they're really expecting prizes or praise they just say hey i like what you do i want to be one of those people that allows you to do what you do yeah i agree completely and don't forget also that you look at some of these guys that are making thousands of dollars a month but then they have to hire a staff or they have fixed costs for every production they do Mm -hmm. so it's not like that money goes straight in their pocket or sometimes just the the rewards are expensive to create or, or they take a lot of time to some degree you're also selling your time and and you have to factor that in and so okay so you're if your Patreon's humble, then mine, there's a there's a word for somewhere between humble and not, non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I, yeah, I'm right around, I hover around 150 patrons. I've been up to 160 and it's it's like 500 to 550 bucks a month. So you, you, have, you have more patrons than me. What? But yeah, but my average pledge is like three bucks. Yes. Whereas like so. I, I've got like, I've got a handful of patrons who do 25. Actually, the majority are like in the 10 and the five zone. That's awesome. Lovely, lovely people people support this show. Well, and I think that's part of the reason is that there's no really putting a dollar amount on your radio show versus 
is music, we know what the dollar amount is. If I want to buy this track, normally it's a buck. And mm. if you're going to give me a track every month, then that's worth a buck a month. That's how a lot of people think. But, right. You know, we, we want them to be more support oriented where they really just want to support what you're doing and get behind it. And that is the case with, you know, I top out at $15 and I think I have seven people there and they could have like a 30 minute Skype call every six months. And one person took me up on it once and that's it. Were they weird? No, actually it was somebody to talk about music promotion, promoting their own band. So um, that was totally cool. So my advice totally aligns with yours, except the number one thing being you need to already have a fan base. This is not a platform to build a fan base. Yeah, it makes total sense, man. Actually, it's a really great point. I want to talk more about that, but first we got to listen to a track and then we will uh, expand on this idea because uh, it's interesting. So here is a cool track from a dude called Willie Baxter, and this track is called Bonnie.
And that was Bonnie by Willie Baxter. And that was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Emilio Estevez, Christian James, Mike Shima, and Joey and Kendra. So thank you all for supporting Beyond Synth. And speaking of Patreon, I'm here right now with Color Theory, and we are chatting about Patreon. And you just raised a, a great point about how Patreon isn't really a place where you start something. It's sort of, you know, you when you already have an audience. And, uh, and I've seen several people with Patreons. It's like they think that you start the Patreon and that's where you begin. Right. Support me on Patreon and like, but they've got nothing to show for it necessarily. Because at the end of the day, Patreon is a donation system, right? But people do it because they like what you do. Yeah, yeah. Not because they're excited to see what you can do. It's like, it's people who are coming there because they already like you. Right. Now, Patreon would disagree with your wording. Like, I'm in two programs right now that are pilot programs that are kind of educational things with Patreon, but... Yeah, I never read any of those emails. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, they want you to avoid the word tip jar. The focus is membership. I guess that sounds a little more like a community. It is like a gym. Maybe I should start doing workout videos. There you go. Yeah, and then and then on Facebook, you can play ads to people who watch 50% of your last workout video. Yeah. And <laughs> but yeah, so I wanted to put it in perspective. Like I said, I support, I think, somewhat shy of 20 creators, and most of the, the guys that I found in, in the synthwave scene, I support. So I wanted to put that in perspective. If you're thinking as a synthwave musician of launching a Patreon, then know that, for example, Iron Skullet, who writes a lot of reviews, has some of the biggest synthwave playlists on Spotify, and I mean, has a pretty big platform. He has 10 patrons right now. 80s Guy, who's one of the biggest channels on YouTube, the videos get tens of thousands of plays when when he posts synthwave music. I think he has seven patrons right now. Odysseus is another YouTube channel, he's, uh, and he makes art. He's got like 13. Duet, who we know, love Ben. His music is amazing. As soon as I saw that he launched a Patreon, this was just a few weeks ago, I jumped in, and I'm one of four patrons. And finally, Drive Radio is another one. Like, I've been trying to get them to play my music, and they've never responded to anything or emails. <laughs> yeah, and they say right on their submission page, like, hey, uh, donate money to us, you know, um, support us. And so I have been a patron for months and they have never even made an update and their page just disappeared. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, here are some relatively big names in a small scene and they're making, I believe, all less than $15 a month. And so if they can't get it off the ground, you know, unless you've already got, say, an email list of thousands of people, you probably are not ready to launch a Patreon page yet because it's a ton of work no matter what. It's not worth it for 15, 30 bucks a month. So I guess in terms of the scene, I must have... You're kicking ass, yeah. Taking names. And that's a complete surprise, by the way. But I think for me, (laughs) what it is, and if anyone sort of looks at it and tries to figure it out it's just that i stuck around it's just that i continue to make this show yeah and i think maintain the level of quality of the show but like i just stay whereas so many like the other people have come and gone right people do a show they'll do it for I've, I've probably said this on the show before you know like people pop in they do a synthwave radio show for you know six months and then it dawns on them that holy shit this is a lot of work and <laughs> i don't get paid for it and blah 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 and then they go away and the thing is i never uh, thought of myself as a host. I don't think of myself as a radio host or a DJ. I think of this as a podcast, like it's an interview show with music, and I like making it. If my Patreon went to zero, if 
I had to start working full time again doing another job. Mm-hmm. I would still make Beyond Synth. It just would be back to the way it was in the first season, 15 episodes a year. Yeah, that's the same as me. Like I my adjustments, right? My previous album took 6 years. And then this album because I had to produce a song every month because of the patrons, you know, it was less than 2 years. So I would not give up Color Theory. But this just gives me the space and the accountability to make it happen on a regular basis. So it helps a lot. I think that's part of it, too, is what people support. I think your observation about music, I think, is so like it's something I hadn't thought about, but it's so true. I think Patreon is just it's a platform for certain types of things. And what you said about music is absolutely correct. It's like because we already understand what it's worth. So what extra things are you offering people with a Patreon that, you know, like if you're an artist and a musician, and say support me on Patreon I see that as a consumer of music that goes or I could just give you 10 bucks when your album comes out you know what I mean? That's like, exactly what people email me. They're like, hey, I figure, you know, uh, if I buy a CD every year, it's the same thing. Yeah. Of course, I don't have a CD to give them every year, but... Yeah. So the, the venue, it seems to suit, and a lot of the ones I follow is a lot of these YouTube-type channels, news and views and reviews-type things. And I, and mm-hmm. I think the Patreons like to be acknowledged. Um, I might acknowledge them too much, <laughs> but I do think people do like to hear their names and know that I know that they're... Supporting the show. Absolutely. But at the same time, people just like to support you. Because then I look at some of the most successful Patreons and like they never even say thank you in the video like it's just sort of they just do the video and at the very end there's like two seconds it's just like click on Patreon and like that's it yeah but other musicians go over the top like some of the ones I support and are good role models for me but they're just so emotive and every every message is like you can't imagine how exciting this is for me the life changing power of Patreon (laughs) I mean seriously right and it's just not my character but yeah people do want to know that they're making a difference and I think people start for the benefits. I think they see the benefits and they go, that would be cool. And then once it's been a few months and they kind of know the drill, they're used to being kind of behind the scenes and, and getting your updates or for you, like lately, your your polls where you can vote on stuff, you know, they're comfortable with that and that's good enough. And at that point, they're just happy to keep supporting. Mm-hmm. But it starts with benefits, I think. Friends with benefits. That's where I was going with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. Well, listen, this was fun. I feel like I talked for most of this one. Hey, but it was good stuff or else I would have interrupted a lot more. You, you got to take the reins next time when you come back. Deal. All right, man. Well, it was good talking to you. Color Theory, Mr. Brian Hazard. Likewise. Thank you. All right. And that was Promo Theory with Brian Hazard from Color Theory. And that segment was brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters, Gregorio Franco. And go listen to last week's episode, the Halloween special, because I was just talking to Gregorio Franco. So he's a cool guy. He makes awesome music and he also supports Beyond Synth, which is uh, really kind of him. And uh, and I appreciate it. And of course, uh, in the $15 Club, Ken Giroux and Hampus ML. You guys are are awesome. So, Marco. Yes? Here's a kick-ass song. Um, I love Pilot Priest. Me too. If people want to know anything about me, Pilot Priest is in my top... Um... Top what, Andy? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like to... Uh, you know, obviously, there's like hundreds and hundreds of people making uh, awesome music, and I, and I don't mm-hmm. like to play favorites. But um, Pilot Priest, for me, he just hits all the right notes. I love his the build of his songs. I love the beats. I love the 
instruments he chooses. I love the notes. I, like I'm keyed on to that dude's wavelength, and I hope I'd really like to chat with him again because mm. we did a two part episode a few seasons ago, and I'd like to uh, have another conversation with him. But uh, first, I want to listen to this song. Uh, it is cool. It is called "Others" by Pilot Priest.
And that was Pilot Priest with the track Others. And that's a cool one. I don't know that I've heard him do like vocoder vocals sounding things before so that was neat i know he has a track where there's like whistling in it Mm. his was the first podcast i did when we like we walked around toronto and i just had the microphone on us and we were walking around and so i know he he lives a life where he's splits his time between toronto and la i think so i want to try and catch him again and do another show because it's been a few years man and he's put out a lot of stuff he's a busy dude fascinating people that do that that can live between like two places like that and i always find that really cool i think you need to not have children Mm. (laughs) i think that's part of the equation fm attack does it a little bit as well i know that um he's sort of from mexico back up to vancouver which is a bit of a contrast in Mm. places really but uh it's kind of cool that he can kind of do that bounce around i should say that that uh, song was brought to you by my lovely patreon support Supporters, Chatterack with the 1495, and of course with the 1111, we will never forget the immortal Chris Elia Lane and Adam Force, who sent me some stickers. I don't know why I'm holding them up because <laughs> this is a fucking radio show. But uh, yeah, Adam Force sent me a letter here, and I got some stickers here that say After Dark. Adam Force Home Audio. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do with those. I'll fucking stick them to you something. Send me some too. They're pretty fucking cool. So how about this? Mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, let's go uh, to my conversation with the Midnight. Ooh, excited about this one. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a, it was a good conversation, and I should let people know just in case they're wondering why Tyler is so quiet. So he he was starting to get a cold. I think maybe even had like bronchitis, and so he was like resting his voice. Yikes! So he was just sitting there drinking his tea, and Tim did most of the talking. But we still had a great time, and after words i watched their show i think i talked about it a few weeks ago but they did a great job it was an awesome show and the crowd was really excited and the sax and the synth and it was a good time so anyways man here is my conversation with the midnight in toronto all right so guys we're here in Toronto with Tim and Tyler. Howdy. How's it going? Doing great. How are you? I was saying this before we started recording, but I went back and listened to the first two episodes we did, and I was just telling you guys how awesome that was and how happy I am that all this is sort of working out because you, uh, Tim, like, I mean, you were so optimistic about the future of the thing and you were so excited about the midnight and the potential for it going forward. And then just to see, because it's been about two years since we talked last time. So just to see how far it's come. People are there. Yeah. And this is, this is amazing uh, because we've seen some sort of dark synth acts come to Toronto and those can sell like Perturbator, um, Carpenter Brute acts like that. And those can sell out because they have this sort of mixed crowd of like, there's goths, metal people, uh, and the synth nerds are there too. And so I was so concerned, um, well, not concerned, but I was like, I can't wait to we see. We were concerned. Okay. <laughs> Deeply <laughs> I like, worried. I was like, I can't wait to see what happens when just a pure retro wave like pop act comes to town because, you know, we're not going to have the, the girls with the pointed bang haircuts and like all the other, like the people who are showing up for the. Uh, we like the girl with the pointed bang haircuts, <laughs> though. We welcome them at our shows. Always. But it's like the fact that you guys are, are here two nights, the fact that they sold out. I mean, like this is. This is awesome. It's really cool. And this was the first, uh, when we put the fall tour, uh, you know, up, the tickets up for sale, this was the first venue to sell out. So it's pretty special to us that people cared, you know, and showed up. It's awesome. So it's been two years. So I wouldn't mind covering a bit of the other stuff because it's recapping our lives. October of 2016 was, was endless summer, right? Was that October? No, that was the August August. of like 5th of August. I think it was. That's right. Yeah. This was right. 
a year before Nocturnal, essentially. We, yeah. we did this interview with you last time, right? right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And then you sent me over Nocturnal, and that one was wicked, and the new one's wicked, so I'm happy about all of it. Sweet, thank you. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so, uh, Tyler, just to explain here, you are throat coating. I am, yes. I've got some green tea right now. I have bronchitis. I caught it somewhere in the Pacific Northwest mm. and we're trying to get it gone. Turns out spending 14 <laughs> hours in a tour bus with sweaty, gross <laughs> men is not healthy for yeah. anyone. You know, it's alright. So I'm just setting this up here so just in case people wonder where Tyler oh, goes right. to partway yes. through the show, it's because Tyler needs to take a nap at some point. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. So, now that the things are sort of picking up, I mean, we got Captain America the other day tweeting out your album that was amazing and the new one's uh like the new one's really good and i'm noticing sort of this the melancholy of nostalgia i think almost like if the synthwave uh genre is moving anywhere you know at first it was the excitement of the cliche 80s culture of lamborghinis and highways and things like this right now we're we're getting to the point where we're looking back now and, and it's a rich tapestry it's a lot of i mean there's a lot of mythology in that decade to to sort of mine from mm. Not that we're, you know, sort of going back in the past to do something that's been done, but, you know, malls and, and proms and there's a lot of, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think with nostalgia, there's a just inherent sadness built into it. I've always thought of that anyway, because you know you can never really go back to that. And so nostalgia is can be approached at a kind of a fun thing, like, hey, nostalgia, let's relive the good old days. But to me, the richer approach that goes a little deeper is kind of tapping into this the inherent sadness mm-hmm. in that to, for me anyway so uh let's go back in time quick here and talk about nocturnal because this album was awesome thank you and the song crystalline was wicked so i don't have too much things to say other than it was very good <laughs> it's good it's good enough it's literally wicked this was a thing that i I think I said to you guys before, um, because you know my... I have a thing with like saxophones where I don't love the sax, but what you guys do on your tracks, and it was like Thomas uh, Eidinger, right? Yeah, yeah. Who was uh, from from Denmark, right? Yeah, fantastic musician. Yeah, no, he is great. And and what he does with the sax bridges the gap for me, you know? Like, I mean, fucking Crystalline was uh, was really great. And so I just want to talk a bit about that. Like, so... When you have the the saxophone stuff coming in, I mean, was that all him? Like just saying, hey, do this solo, or do you have some ideas or melodies that you would play and say, like, play yeah, something usually, like if it's a specific theme, like a dis- specific melody, like in Vampires or Jason or uh, Crockett's Revenge or Crystalline, then that's I'll have a melody built out that I I want him to play, and then for solos, I just kind of let him go, and I'll, I might go let it, you know, don't get too jazzy there, or you know, don't get too funky there, or whatever, let it be beautiful and pretty and sad and all that stuff. But for the actual melodies, it, that's usually me going. I've worked out this melody can you do this and then he'll kind of just freestyle when he does solos that's just all thomas now when you tour you've got a different guy yeah because thomas lives in denmark and he's based there and obviously logistically we we can't really afford it to fly him around the world so for our previous tours we've been playing with a a fantastic saxophone player called jesse malloy he played with us uh our very first show in san francisco he flew up on his own dime he was a gentleman and a scholar and he's the best guy super sweet and an absolute pro we're just lucky to have him we played a bunch of shows with him but he was also playing with panic at the disco and essentially he's playing for them 100 percent of the time now they right. pay him uh, to play with them yes. which is totally fine that's how it goes they and we you know obviously had to find somewhere else because uh jesse was like i would love to keep playing with you guys but i have to keep on playing with these guys and this is there's no like drama in that by the way right. i don't want people to go Oh my God! You really screwed over the midnight. That's not how it works, guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's a he's a touring musician and mm. he's a professional. And 
and he's really, really good. So he was playing with them, and we really just logistically needed to find someone that could play, obviously, the parts and was a great musician, and also that was able to tour with us、uh, for this tour. And you know, it was tricky to find someone because there are a lot of like jazz musicians, and there are a lot of.、Uh, Really, really good sax players in the states, and it would really have to be someone stateside because, again, sort of defeats the point of the object. If we're flying someone from Europe every time we play a gig, it just doesn't make sense for the kind of level we're playing at the moment. We're very lucky through two different sources. They both recommended、uh, Alekos, who's our sax player for this tour, and he's he's been absolutely killing it. He's amazing, and he also plays amazing synth.、Uh, <laughs> when I had my first, I had a coffee with him a while ago when we met, and. I was like, someone told me you played a little bit of synth.、And、he's like, yeah, I play a little bit. And he was being all coy. And then first day of rehearsals, he just busted out a wicked solo for Gloria.、Yeah. And we were like, <laughs> me and Tyler looked. He was like, we'll we'll be fine. <laughs> it's great. So yeah, it's been really fun. Well, that's awesome, man. And and I want to kick this off、uh, and listen to some tunes. So、uh, this is Crystalline by The Midnight, and、uh, this song is awesome.
cliffs by the sea The monsters with waging teeth Their skin shines crystalline Crystalline by the Midnight, and I'm sitting with the Midnight right now, Tim and Tyler, and uh, and that song has some great uh, sax in there. And we were we were talking about your live saxophonist. What are they called? Saxophonists? What is the word for saxophone Saxophone player? Saxophonist? I feel like you could say that, but. Yeah, I think you can say that. Saxophonist? Yeah, <laughs> I know there's a fucking word, and That's I know it name. sounds different than that. Yeah. But moving forward, I mean, like, Thomas will still provide sax for the actual studio I mean, recordings. yeah, that's, like, that's generally how it's been, and he's just a close friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, and he's an incredible musician, and he, he gets what it is. And I think also, uh, I mean, we've known each other for ages, so it was less of a let-me-Google-saxophone players and more of a, oh, I want, I'd love to have sax. Hey, Thomas, do you want to bust some sax out on this one he was in LA at the time when he did Days of Thunder Uh, he tours with Lucas Graham so he was playing with them I think years ago I think there's something to be said about these Scandinavian musicians we were lucky to have a lot of really great musicians in Scandinavia but I think there's something about the the melodic sensibilities from the Nordic countries Mm. and I don't 
quite know what it is, but there's a sensibility of the, the melody, but without getting too jazzy and keeping it pop, but not being Kenny G. Right. No shade towards Kenny G, but it's just, you know, knowing tonally what it is. Yeah. And there's something about that. And uh, he, he totally gets it. And so it's a very natural uh, dynamic. It's like very easy, very unformal when we work together. He'll send me takes and I'll be like, oh, a little bit more like that. And blah, 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 blah. And yeah. I, I think that's, that's my apprehension with the saxophone is with a lot of the stuff that I don't like, it's that sort of mall music sort of mm-hmm. soft stuff and what I like is like the power sax that like yeah. you see in the Lost Boys fucking song and we see with what uh, Thomas does on all of, of your tracks I mean that's the stuff where like that I feel like for me that's where that instrument sort of shines sure. is like I, with I, hard I powerful melodies that are you know kind there's of simple boldness. But, yeah. yeah there's a boldness to the approach for sure and speaking to that uh, with regards to sax on our songs you know whether there's sax on a song or whether there's not going to be sax on a song or whatever I, I I don't really look at it as this thing that has to be on everything and there is it isn't on everything there's the most sax is on nocturnal the album but i mean there's sax on one song on days of thunder the, the days of thunder ep mm. and uh people didn't seem to mind back then and uh so this the themes of this album just didn't lend itself to sax and we're not really a band that is trying to please anyone else but ourselves mm. so we were telling a story and uh i don't think sultry sax goes hand in hand with being <laughs> nine years old and running around on bikes right and, and the themes we're dealing with it's not really like a late night sexy vibe like that doesn't yeah, it's not uh, what yes, I, exactly. you know so when people go oh yeah i'm really missing the sax it's like i love meatloaf too but i don't like it with chocolate ice cream mm-hmm. but i like them both separate yes but, and if you love meatloaf that's great so they're not wrong in wanting sax on everything or whatever the songs they want it's just not really what we're trying to give them and and that's also totally fair and i noticed there was a shift and maybe this was part of the direction you started to go in because you did another collaboration with nikki flores called uh, light years and this one was very different tonally to the first one because i love this right. the song jason and i remember when you mentioned like oh and we got her coming back to do a thing and i'm like oh it's gonna be like jason too it is essentially but, it, but, but it's, it's the yeah. <laughs> continuation it's the homecoming queen's lament from yeah the first uh, so where did the where did the tone of that one come from that one was really fun tim and nikki wrote one day in la and i was not present Uh, (laughs) oh here we go and um and tim sent me the the track and i wrote a different song and so after that song was written we sort of combined them into the same song so you'll notice it has kind of one extra little part hanging out Mm. and it was a really fascinating kind of stitched together thing i'm really happy with that song because because of its sort of cobbled together nature but what she was writing and what with with tim and what i was writing you know it kind of fit it fit on top of itself it did i it was definitely the hardest one to finish for me as a producer because it, it was a lot of like stitching the two worlds together but i also felt like even though tyler hadn't been present for the birth of the vibe it was more like me and nikki wrote something and i was like this feels really cool i'm gonna send this to tyler and see what he thinks and then he came at it from a different angle and we kind of felt like it was i think it was when tyler got involved and brought his sensibilities to it it felt like oh this is a continuation of of the jason story like this is where it, that story would naturally go it, it's not going to be all living the high life in the nightclubs like there's a there's a, again there's a <laughs> sadness to that so that was the hardest one to finish on the album just to, to mold it into a more of a, a pop song format i guess if you could say that but it's one of my favorites on the album for sure
And that was Light Years by The Midnight featuring Nikki Flores. And I'm here right now with Tim and Tyler in the green room. I mean, obviously you guys are here to put on a show. So talk a bit about um, touring. This is awesome. And it's really yeah. wicked that it's incredible. people are turning out. I mean, it's super exciting. So how, how does the dynamic change? Because I know you guys are sort of at different ends of the country. We are. Or yeah. your country. <laughs> and <laughs> there are many countries. Yeah. <laughs> Like, how did you start with the initial planning of the tour itself? I mean, you obviously had to get together to practice and shit, right? So Yeah. Yeah. We had to do that together. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Tim flew to New York, and we rented some practice space. Then we flew out to L.A. and rented some practice space. Yeah. And uh, I think what, obviously, people don't see is all the fantastic group of people we've got working yeah, with us great. and for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were lucky last year after we did our second show, the L.A. show we did at The Globe, was really when we got involved with our management team who helped set that show up and then we've been working with them ever since and they're amazing and then we signed with uh, our booking agents Paradigm and they're incredible and they've been killing it so booking all the venues and getting all that set up that is not due to any of me and Tyler's hard work that's all them and helping logistically making that happen and uh, that's where they they come in and finding the right venues sizes and being able to scale it up if it sells well and etc they booked all of this and we just had to kind of we just show up to play yeah honestly it's uh we're lucky that people don't realize how much work goes into something like this not just on on the rehearsal stage but logistically traveling and having people like you show up and then the the venue and they know you're coming and then you have an airbnb booked or there's a hotel and what about your sounding guy engineers lighting guys and there's just a lot of moving parts so having the right team around us is is key yes and when you were so excited about the potential that the midnight could be your main thing yeah now that you guys are touring and Captain America is talking about your stuff I mean like are you feeling good like our new best friend yeah 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 Chris <laughs> Evans <laughs> <laughs> by the way Chris why haven't you returned my calls <laughs> what's going on <laughs> I keep texting him. Nothing happens. <laughs> anyway, what, were you, what was your question? Well, I just want to know. Like, I mean, like, does it feel good? Like, I mean, no. <laughs> just kidding. It's great. Yeah. It's what it's whatever. No, it is fantastic. I mean, and it, it comes back to the thing I said before. Is like we we. It's not just me and Tyler anymore. We have an f- amazing team. Uh, I see my manager staring at me over there. I'm, I'm saying nice things about you, Justin. <laughs> no, we have a fantastic management, fantastic team that we're touring with, and amazing booking agents uh, at Paradigm that are absolutely killing it and making all this possible for us. And that's because, you know, we're new to this world, this side of the touring and stuff. We can write songs and all that stuff, but making it happen logistically is a whole nother ball game. And then it comes down to the people who actually care enough to buy a ticket and drag their bodies to a show and show up. Mm-hmm. And that's a gift. I mean, we, as Tyler said, when we put these shows up for sale, we didn't know what they were going to do. And and um, so to, to be playing, you know, pretty much like a sold out tour for our first tour is incredible. And people show up and buy merchandise and they're just supportive and you know we're certainly not making a ton of money at the moment it's like upstart it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of money to just make this happen Mm -hmm. but because people are showing up it's making it possible for us to do it again next year and hopefully do it bigger and get you know good offers to play at various festivals and it just grows it's an accumulative thing and uh, yeah that's because of people 
caring. It comes down to the fan community. It's 100% what it is. Because mm. without them, it would just be me and Tyler on stage dancing around yeah. for no one, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it feels amazing to answer your question. Sorry, I get long-winded. No, hey, so it's, is this the middle amazing. right now? Or what is what is this considered in, as far as the tour is concerned? Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the middle. We, we played our first show of the East Coast leg of the tour last night. So we did West Coast, a bunch of cities, and uh, and then we played our second show, uh, first show of the kind of East Coast run now, which we'll be going for another week, and then we come home, we play another like six or seven shows now, and then we come home for a couple of days, and, and we play, I think it, we played two shows in San Francisco, mm. and then we ended on the 21st of October, I think it is. So essentially we've got like 10 days left or something like that. So how much... Um or how difficult was it to translate? Because you're primarily like a producer, right? Yeah. With doing the midnight, had you done live stuff before? Like, I, I think DJ stuff maybe, but have you done like a little live? bit DJ, a little bit DJ? I come from a before I got into producing and writing. I've played the drums for ten years. That was kind of how I started with music, and then I learned a little bit of you know self-taught piano and guitar and a little bit of vocals and stuff. So I've played in bands when I was a young kid, and uh, I've done some brief amounts of touring, like as a sideman, years, years, years ago. But this is the first time I. I'm on the road as an artist and I'm on stage and that's certainly something you gotta get used to but I also find it it feels fun and natural because it's we're doing something that is inherent to us so it feels it doesn't feel like we have to change who we are we can essentially be ourselves on stage you know right. or one, one version of ourselves I guess you could say and Tyler because I mean you do a lot of like the alt country sort of uh, Americana yeah. stuff and you do sing so like how totally. What's the difference? Like when you're doing midnight, is it is it, are you exercising a different muscle? Yes and no. Uh, yeah, I grew up deep south, the more conservative Protestant religious traditions, and my dad was like the music minister in a small Methodist church. There's something kind of congregational about this sort of vibe with the midnight fans that feels a little more spirited. The folk stuff I would play in, you know, 200 cap room with people, and you can see everybody who's like sitting down, and you want to make sort of a heartfelt connection with with every person or as many people as you can in that sort of situation here there are lights and there's fog and the, the sound is like uh, you know it's loud and so it's a it's a spectacle in a way so in some ways playing the folk stages helped me to learn how to perform but in another sense I'm going back to those old days playing the mega churches in the deep south where you know they've got the lights and the sound and it's more of a it's more of a connection of spirit than it is of person to person. It feels like almost like there's a sort of a a hive mind mentality Mm -hmm. a little bit where everyone gets into the same groove and you're connected through that, but it's not as one-to-one. Right, the audience feels more of a collective here. With this type of music, it sort of hits people. I know it hits me in a certain way where I don't know that I would be grooving so much as I would just be like happy that someone is playing this music live in front of me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's a weird thing to say. Like it's hard to articulate. Like I would just look at it and Mm -hmm. just like... It's great, you know. Like so, so it, and so, what happens? Like, do you ever have audiences like that where they're just sort of like sort of zoned into you? Like, very much. So no, nobody kind of knows how to take us yet. And, no, it's and true. That's, it's really fun because the audience is very night to night. Yeah, it's been it's been very different from venue to venue, from night to night, and uh, city to city. Uh, last night was a very intense crowd. There were really there was a couple of people really into it, but then you also have the people where I can see they're into it, but they're into it in a different way. Like you just said staring at you and going I'm taking this all in and this is special to me and at first I was thrown I was like oh do they like this but then I realized I mean I spoke to some of them afterwards and they were like this was incredible and thank you so much and we love talking to people after the show so yeah there's definitely 
different ways of of experiencing the the same thing yeah which is cool especially with the sound especially with the new album it sort of touches that emotional melancholy for your childhood it's sort of like mm. it, it hits on a the heart i'm touching my heart right now <laughs> wherever that is I that's forget, good i forget the side i thought you were fondling yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep doing it andy <laughs> well, i gotta put a pillow over my lap so you don't see what i'm doing i like this <laughs>
that was Nocturnal by the Midnight, and we're here at the Velvet Underground in Toronto. I'm here with Tim and Tyler. So that was uh, that was a cool instrumental, and I could hear some of the mm-hmm. influences. You know, I, I hear some Commando in there. I kind of heard, and I heard some oh. Terminator. Yeah, like the bass line that sort of runs like right, right from the start. That oh, like the, I don't even, I don't remember the Commando. Soundtrack. Oh, dude, who did that? James Horner, isn't it? Oh, okay. I remember the movie. I just don't never really listen to the score. Well, his score is really like it's a lot of like steel drums and shit. Mm. But the actual like the uh, the the synth part, this, there's this like this, oh, nice. and then uh, Terminator. There's sort Obviously, of that the beat, yeah, yeah and stuff that's like very that. Very so. intentional. Yeah. Was that the main one, like Terminator going sure. in? Or, yeah. That was 100 percent it. Clearly, yeah. as you can hear. <laughs> it was really inspired by. I live in in LA. I live in an area called Thai Town, which is very small, but it's sort of right between Hollywood and Los Feliz, and uh, it's right below something called Griffith Observatory. Beautiful. You can go hiking. There's a Griffith Park and stuff. It's a big area. There's the actual observatory where I would go running almost every day at that time. And um, I would run up to the observatory, especially loving, as I was making Nocturnal that whole summer, like Collateral and Nocturnal was inspired by running those hiking trails at night, seeing the sun come down over LA, and then running up to the observatory, which coincidentally is... If anyone's seen the first Terminator movie from 1984, I think it's four. four. I think it's four. Yeah. When Arnold Schwarzenegger arrives, that's the observatory in LA, and he meets uh, what's his name now passed away, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. He's one of the punks. Yeah. So that's where he arrives, and so I would just. That's partly also my my fascination with LA. I have that fascination of like because I'm not from there, I still look at the city and I see parts I'm like this just is like that, that movie yeah. you know <laughs> and I'm still I still have that thing and I love when you can recognize parts from movies and you go oh this is the place where they filmed that I realize I've been there now so running up to the observatory every night that was definitely those two tracks were very inspired by that by the Terminator but by LA at night mm-hmm. and kind of the Michael Mann world and early Schwarzenegger from uh, early James Cameron obviously I should say mm. but the, the Terminator and sort of that nighttime Los Angeles where it's Endless Summer was more cruising down PCH at sunset where this one Nocturnal was more cruising around downtown LA and kind of where it's a little bit more grimy and mm. it's much more like blue lights and that kind of hue which was a big inspiration for the whole album. For the amount of time you've been in LA like you still sort of feel the novelty of it or are you getting yeah. this? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean yeah, obviously some things wear off, but but also that just comes with having been there for a minute and knowing the areas, different areas and stuff. But yeah, I still love when I go for walks with my dog at sunset and I, and I can see the silhouettes of palm trees. Like that'll give me a little like... Oh. Yeah, I'm in LA. This is really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, even though the world is crumbling around us, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I still it still has the veneer. Some areas have that veneer of kind of uh, reminding me of like certain parts of movies and all that stuff. And yeah, it definitely is inspiring for me. On Nocturnal, you did um, you had f- uh, featuring uh, Time Cop 1983. Which is one of like the few sort of synth acts that have featured. I mean, maybe the only one. Probably, yeah. The only, yeah, it's the only collab. What, we've so, done. what about uh, Yordi? Was the uh, the thing that what was about his sound that you? Yeah, that's a good question. We had been speaking on social media for a minute, and then it went from that to like, hey, it could be fun to do something on email, and he's like. 
he sent me a couple little ideas. I was like, oh, I love this idea. And it just kind of naturally, it was a natural progression of um, we were beginning to start work on Nocturnal. And yeah, it just kind of was a natural like, oh, this is a cool melody. Let me, he sent me some of the parts. So I kept building on that. And then I sent some parts back to him. And he's like, oh, I really like this. And mm. so it wasn't that we set out to have a feature on the new album with Geordie or with Time Cop. Uh, it was just a natural, it just kind of worked itself out like that. And then I was like, oh, we should get sax on this one to emphasize the theme and all that stuff yeah i think sonically we worked well together um aesthetically we're close enough that it it's a good marriage but also different enough that we bring something new to each other's sound i would hope so you must um i mean with the what's the word i'm looking for i mean the profile of the genius midnight, uh, yeah. the word you're looking for is genius andy <laughs> Genius. <laughs> you must be getting hit up all the time now. I, I guess that must be the, the handy thing about having a manager. Right? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we get approached a lot from a lot of different people. The social media, which I still do all of that, uh, has reached a level where I sadly can't keep up with all the messages mm-hmm. and stuff. Definitely, if you want to send your stuff to us and have us actually hear it, and if you're interested in collabing and all that stuff, it's the best thing is to, to send it to our manager because he will go through it all and bring it to us. Yeah. But obviously, yeah, people send. There are also lots of... Uh, it's it's a it's a young genre or young there's a lot of young producers mm-hmm. that maybe don't have the knowledge and skill to you know mix at a certain level yet but that doesn't mean they're not talented or whatever mm-hmm. so I'm always curious to hear what people are bringing to, are sending to us uh, but I'd, obviously it's it's got to be at a level where it's professional sounding I think the danger is also a lot of we have a lot of retro acts reaching out and I find that slightly less interesting mm-hmm. because the ironic thing is me and Tyler are not really interested in doing retro music. It's right. not really how we view it. It's not it's just kind of the the prism of which we're talking about these themes and how I wrap the gift, if it were, yeah. how I dress up the song. Well, I mean, you definitely w- with the production style as well. I mean, you you uh, you're obviously doing modern Yeah, it's very yeah, and uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I had this uh this was a discussion I had with um a British artist Kid Cassio because and on his first album he used a lot of dope name uh, yeah he's great and he he does really like traditional sort of like 80s pop songs pet shop boy style kind of things and and he uh used autotune on his first album quite a bit and so there was the autotune camp it's like the saxophone camp it's like the people who just go like the second you put autotune it's like fuck you autotune and then and i personally like it because i think it's interesting like i i don't like the overuse of it but i think it's an interesting tool it's a tool like anything else and totally and uh, what he said to me was if I never thought of it it's just like he's like if it existed in the 80s they would have been using it in the 80s like the fact that people were saying like this shouldn't belong on this sort of retro sounding music and it's like it's just a tool like any other tool and totally the more tools you have at your disposal just the totally and also the people that are saying the react to autotune usually are reacting to another effect they think is autotune right uh, usually if you're using autotune properly and subtly you won't notice it and I see people post on YouTube and, and comment on our songs to like, oh, you know, I remember when we put out Crystalline, to be really specific, uh, is they should rename their na- band The Autotune or something. I mean, I know I know like tools like Melodyne and stuff where you can like sort of just adjust. Sen- essentially the same thing. Notes. That's yeah. the same thing, essentially, yeah. Yeah. So he was reacting to, and I know exactly what he's hearing. He thinks it's Autotune. There's Autotune on all of our songs, by the way. But I always use it very gently just mm. to, to correct notes and just to tighten up something so what he was reacting to i know exactly what it was it's a very heavy chorus and doppler effect on tyler's voice because i wanted to have a really wide sound it's mm. very stereo i know that that's what he's noticing and going oh this sounds like autotune because it sounds processed it sounds 
enhanced. Right. But there isn't. There's very, very little auto tune on that. It's very soft pitch correction. That's all auto tune is. Is pitch correction. Exactly. And heavy auto tune is when it when it sounds like share is when it's pitch correcting really, really harshly. And that's a, just another uh, tool. And then you have people going, "Oh, I hate when they use auto tune." And they're talking about the samples and like in Shadows and Lost Boy, where th- that's not auto tuned either. That's sampling yeah. and just playing around with the notes as yep. if it was a key, you know, like a vocode or something. So people don't always know. They go, yes. oh, it's auto-tuner. I just happen to like when something sounds processed mm-hmm. uh, because my inherent sensibilities veer towards the slightly pretty and sad and beautiful, I guess is the right word. I like it when I can pull it in the other direction because otherwise it becomes chocolate ice cream with chocolate on top. And I like it something that gives it a little bit of an edge or a little bit of a non-organic sound because everything else I'm playing around there is so soft and like sensitive. Maybe the chord progressions or the notes I choose are I, I know they're very pretty and I kind of like what I like. This is why I did the midnight, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so I can play around and for Tyler to play around. Mm. So yeah, people don't always know the right term, and that's totally fine too. But uh, yeah, it's it can be confusing. Well, all that matters is that the tunes are wicked, and we're gonna uh, listen to one right now, man. This is is Shadows by the Midnight.
stranger to myself On these streets I'm someone else Shadows by the Midnight, uh, and I'm here with the Midnight right now, Tim and Tyler, and we were uh, we were talking about vocal manipulation before, and I just love 
all that stuff. I mean, like there was even a track I played recently by a chiptune artist who did a, a cover of Chaka Khan, and they did actually something that you've done as well, using sort of speech synthesis. Yeah. You know, letting like a robot lady say things and then, you know, make it musical. Totally. Yeah. And it's the so more, fun. I don't know if dynamic is the word, but the bigger the increase between the notes that you make the voice play, right? So like the extreme differences. The more unnatural it sounds. The more unnatural, but also kind of cool too. Yeah. Like it's, and I, and I, because really, it's stuff you can't do with the voice it's just another it's like saying i don't like like electric guitar well you cannot make an acoustic guitar sound like an electric guitar and vice versa Mm. for real you know so it's always a tool and if you don't like the tool that's fine but um i love messing around with drum samples i'm a drummer i started playing the drums before i got into production so when i played around with sampling drums i was like whoa what you can do things with this sampler that you can't do on a live drum set and that was fascinating to me so to me they're just different sounds you know that's all it is so then moving forward to kids did you know going into it like this tonally is what i want to go for yeah it was a conversation me and tyler had i think the day after we had released nocturnal we you know because i'd been so deeply for months been so deeply ingrained in the aesthetic the night aesthetic of nocturnal and had been so deep in that world i think as i was finishing i was like oh it'd be be, and I think Stranger Things had been out for a minute mm. and uh, I think I just watched E.T. again my parents were visiting I'm from Denmark originally they were visiting so this was like September 2017 and so Nocturnal came out I had all these kind of images of like kids on bikes and the freedom of being young and youthful and not having a you know your biggest care is you wake up on a Saturday morning and what's your Sarah going to be like and when are you going to be up with your friends and that mm. was sort of the antithesis to Nocturnal and the kind of the heavy vibes or the kind of moodiness of that album and I love both worlds but it was just natural and I called Tyler was like I have this idea you know I, I've been feeling like we could do something essentially it would be what the kids from Stranger Things are doing when they're not out chasing monsters if that makes sense but it, it's really it's like coming of age and dealing with dealing with loss when you're young and you're still learning how you feel about the world and and falling in love and having your heart broken and finding friends and losing friends and all that stuff so really it's just living in the memories of childhood and all that stuff yeah that was a natural progression of like wanting to go lighter and wanted to go more carefree but in that there is an inherent sadness built in so I think that was just a natural progression and we had a talk and was like let's do that and I said well very early on I was like I've been wanting to call it kids and he's like I like that Hmm. that was about a year earlier I guess what 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 are we at now? What are we yeah, it's almost. A year. <laughs> I, I don't even know I, I never where know. I am right now. Yeah, no, I, I it gave me the feeling of. Um, did you ever see Toy Story three? I actually haven't seen that. What? I've heard people love it and all that stuff. Yeah, well, you got to see Toy Story oh, yeah, three. Well, I don't want to give away the ending now. It's but it's but it's, I know it's about letting go of child. Yeah, I know. Yes, and the and, the, and you know, like when Pixar wants to fucking hit you in the stomach with something, oh, like, they'll do it. Dude, I watched the opening 10 minutes of up <laughs> on a flight once going home to Christmas to see my family yeah. and I sat there and I just had like tears streaming down my that was man tears coming out my yeah. face yeah. just watching the opening scenes of up I was like I can't do that yeah, no. <laughs> so too much well it's I mean that for me uh, the end of Toy Story 3 there's it's very 
It's 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 so good, but it's the same yeah. sort of thing. Um, for me, what I noticed about this lyrically, this one, mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a very uh, smart person. I'm not either. But uh, <laughs> with this one, I noticed lyrically on this album there was less metaphor and more just direct, like mm. you know, especially with like kids' reprise, where it's like <laughs> right. It's it's like li- they're very literal images. You know, sure. it's not so much metaphor. Maybe the part about like the monsters and whatever, but like yeah, yeah, that's right. right. And I noticed that with with some of the things too, and like with Wave, I noticed. Very sort of like um, very optimistic lyrics, mm-hmm. but it's, they felt like to me, even though like sort of tonally the album has this sort yeah, of yeah. melancholy feel. So sure. like, what was what were you writing in your little book? <laughs> yeah, it came together lyrically in a pretty short amount of time. I just had a kid, so most of the production work was was handled by Tim. Congratulations! Thank you. Have fun um, not sleeping for yeah, the rest of your life. It's been it's been many moons since I've had a good good restful night at home, but uh, it's worth it because we made a human. Mm. Yeah, the the lyrical content. I, it's interesting. That's an observation that I hadn't thought of. That it's a little more of, of a direct message rather than sort of the flowery images mm. uh, of of time past. On kids, there was like a group of kid singers like doing the chorus or something. Was that fake or was that real? Or? No, this are real. Yeah, real kids. We record of that in Santa Monica. What was the name, Justin? West Coast Children's Choir. West Los Angeles Children's Choir. Okay. And they were they were super sweet. Uh, they ranged from about the youngest was like there was one that was like five or six and then they raged up to like 13 12 13 years old there were about seven or eight kids and we re- recorded them uh, at the red bull studios they were gracious enough to to host us and, and help us out they were great but yeah they were amazing and uh, they came in super prepared and just delivered the goods i made sure we recorded lots of takes so i could layer them all and then make them sound like a big group of kids i wanted sure. to to sound not like children's singers, but more like kids on a playground. That so it was it was kind of finding that tone. How do you uh, achieve that then? Like to give it that sound to make it bigger. Like is it as simply as just layering it a few times? Yeah, or is totally. It's it's just re-recording the same line many times. And then you have one take where you have you know a couple mics that are picking up eight kids, but then you record that again. Now you have got sixteen kids, and you record it again. Not another track. That's twenty four kids. Mm. So it just keeps layering. So it literally is that. And obviously you make sure. You EQ it and compress it and make sure that it doesn't sound like super messy. But luckily, they were they were super tight. Like they were just on the ball with like pocket wise rhythm rhythmically. Mm. Um, so they were super easy. I didn't have to do anything. It was just a bit of you know EQing and it was very easy. So they made job my job very easy. Um, but that's literally it. You just re-record them. So I had you know ultimately I had maybe fifty takes of them and it's layered in a different way. We had them sing in one way and then fifteen takes and then another way fifteen takes and then we moved around so it was like boys and girls in one side and we moved that around so it kind of felt like a spread out group of of kids Mm -hmm. Um, and they they were just great
And that was Kids by the Midnight. And we're here in Toronto with the Midnight right now, Tim and Tyler. Uh, so, Tyler, talk to me about what you were, you know, dealing with when you were writing the the other tracks of this album. We're dealing with, I mean, Waves was was uh, a song I'd sort of written in my bedroom, uh, uh, thinking about society and anime and isolation and loneliness and and how that's fed. America too, kind of the same thing. Lost Boy is sort of similar. It's mm. still kind of the same. Uh, Explorers was more of a, a project to think about what like a Saturday morning cartoon you know makes you feel like. Mm. Yeah, these are these are questions, and these have been books that I've been reading in the last year or so that you know I'm I'm wrestling with personally and creatively. Yeah, you know how how do we how do we bridge the gap? This German philosopher that I like says uh, the problem with the world is not sin. The problem with the world is individuation. The fact that you are you and I am me, and I will never have direct access to your experience. Mm. That's sort of the cause of all of the problems in the world. Um, but I, I uh, have grown to view it as more of a challenge, how to how to reach out, how to bridge the gap. And so these are things that I'm just thinking about, especially as I bring a new life into the world. And, you know, what society do I belong to? You know, what do I owe the world? <laughs> you know, how, how do I live as an authority? And, it's interesting when you say that, because I wonder if there is something different about, because of, of our childhoods, like I'm fucking 37 mm -hmm. so you know the 80s and, and these sort of things yeah. and what i notice is now with everything being so sort of like is fractionated a word you know when you know if you like a certain thing there is a small group for you mm, and right. they're there mm -hmm. and everyone can sort of go in their their small groups and and i think what we're missing is those universal experiences like mm. when you talk about individuation you know like w when we grew up you know like there were these three channels mm -hmm. and there's good chance that if you grew up during this time we have the same reference points we saw right. the same movies we saw the same cartoons we played mm. the same games That's whereas now everyone has their own video game system different games we're not all playing the same thing watching except when grand theft auto comes out but like you know <laughs> right. or red dead this fall but like uh yeah that's very true yeah yeah there aren't a lot of sort of mass cultures everybody's kind of finding their niche and there are good parts to that but there are also you know dangers of being in an echo chamber we see that a lot with a lot of more you know extremist communities online mm -hmm. that's real but what's also interesting is that there's no the fragmentation of of sort of sorry to use this word meta narratives uh, like <laughs> synthwave is a community and it's sort of a an orbit of aesthetic choices and vibes. Can I steal that? It, yeah, I take it. Uh, but it's not a it's not an ethic, right? There's no you're not going to find your meaning of life in that. It's not like a religion that kind of tells you why the earth was made and what you're supposed to do and mm. you know what happens when you die. Like those things have sort of been splintered. The world has sort of opened up as cultures have started talking to each other. Well, it's perfect what you just said, because I know for myself, I mean, like when I talk about the synthwave scene or whatever, I've used lots of different words to describe it. But essentially, when someone tells me they like it, they're saying more than just I like electronic music. Sure. You know, it's like when you say I like Synthwave, there's a good chance it's like, oh, yeah. they like 80s movies. Right. They like the cartoons. They like the, the games of this time. They like retro experiences. Totally. totally. And it's a community to galvanize around. And, right. And, and definitely not an ethic because a lot of people I've talked to have very different sort of <laughs> it, points of view, but... It's very true. But we can find... And I'm very big on finding the things that I can connect with people on, even if they sure. are very different people. Sure. But I, I guess what I mean is that, you know, there are all these little flags that people gather around there. There is no like one big flag anymore. Mm -hmm. That's something that's been happening for the last couple hundred years. You know, in the village 300 years ago in Europe, if you were the baker's son, you were going to be a baker. You know, like uh, your, your life was sort of set 
before you. Uh, you were told what to believe. You didn't know to ask these questions about, you know, how do I know what's really real, you know? Yeah, yeah. Your community was sort of dictated. And so now everything is possible. And so everything is sort of scarier in that way. I, w- I wonder if that baker's son was happier. Yeah, I, I, you know, Emil Durkheim, who was the first guy to sort of point out this problem, uh, would say, yes, he was happier. He, he knew to expect less from life. You know, <laughs> he did. You know, he didn't know that you know capitalism would exist soon, and if you traded up and became a banker, that you could afford a Lamborghini and yeah. like you know move to a castle in the mountains. You know, that's uh, that wasn't an option for him. And now our desire to own stuff, to have power, to be you know loved in other people's eyes, uh, especially with the internet, it's infinite possibilities. And so, if you don't get the status you think you deserve, if you don't get the fame or the money or the respect, you're going to be sad. Whereas that wasn't even on the table uh, until very recently in human history. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, like, it's definitely, like, interesting to to think about, for sure. Uh, yeah. Tim, moving to the production of of this album, you did some of the those those vocal manipulations again on Lost Boy, which I dig. So is that fun to do? Like, you oh, know, when I you take that. his vocal and go, like, let's yeah. fuck with and it. Yeah, and Tyler loves it. He's <laughs> like, yeah, do that. He loves it when I can do something that he can't do with his own voice. He's like, mm. do that. Take You know, the first time we really did it was with... Uh, Nighthawks on Endless Summer and he's like oh I love that like a uh, vocoder or whatever and so he loves it and to me also I love that there's a um, there's an inherent <laughs> I keep going back to inherent sadness but <laughs> there is a loneliness in a produced in a vocal that is manipulated to sound slightly not human mm-hmm. there's a, there's just a, a lack of emotion in there that makes it empty and sad and hollow which I kind of love so that song was written with a, a Finnish DJ called DJ Leno a really really talented guy and we wrote it back in 2015 and it was actually called In the Dark and it was like a house tune and he just kind of did a demo track so that that song was sitting around for a minute and then we all loved the song but it didn't fit on Nocturnal it wasn't right for that and so down the line I completely reworked I, you know scratched the track and had the vocals and sped them up but then made it half time so instead of being kind of in the dark there was that was the original tempo it was sort of like mm. 126 128 kind of thing I sped it up and then I made it half time so it was like in the dark they were no strangers so it's that kind of vibe that track was tricky to get right because I was trying to do a lot of different things with it and it was through many different iterations because it was the first track I was finishing for the album and essentially setting the tone for the rest of the album. But I'm really happy with a song I love, but also the track. And it, so it was me taking that line from Tyler's first verse uh, where he goes, I was a lost boy when I met you. And I took that and I, there was there was something pulling at the heartstrings in that line. There was a kind of a, a heart break in that and I always gravitate towards that and I was like that could be cool and I think the way me and Tyler's brains work differently I take it and I, I zoom out Tyler will look at something and go what it, what am I trying to say and then I zoom out and go how does this fit in how can we make this fit into I don't want to say the package we're doing but sort of into the themes and then into the aesthetic of leaning to the 80s and stuff and I texted my manager I was like I know we should call it Lost Boy I've got an idea and instantly I obviously knew it was going to harken to the the movie The Lost Boys and stuff and, and that was kind of just a fun thing even though the song has nothing to do with that movie or the themes of that film whatever right but things like that are fun I love the journey the song can go on but it was a tricky one to finish but I'm really happy with it alright cool well, let's uh, listen to it uh, this is Lost Boy by the Midnight.
By the midnight, and I'm here with the midnight right now, Tim and Tyler, just sitting around the green room of the uh, Velvet Underground in Toronto. So, uh, Tyler, uh, we just talked about the books you were reading and, and some heady mm-hmm. concepts and ideas. So, is this like, is this the stuff that was like swimming around your brain when you when you wrote this stuff? Like, was this? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, in in 2015, I put out my last folk. 
project and uh, toured the country for six months and um, lost all of my industry contacts and, and went home and thought, well, what do I do now? And I started a podcast that's no longer online, but every month I would make a, a short collection of songs. I would write and record it and do like an audio lecture based on a theme. Mm. So the themes would range from like city planning to economics to depression to whatever I just felt like reading about. And some of the undercurrent of this stuff is this idea of Durkheim, the French sociologist calls it anime, sort of the, the social breakdown in people. And that's like a common theme that I that I came to. So yes, uh, these are thoughts that have been swirling in my head for the past couple of years. When did you uh, have your baby? Uh, in May. That's an exciting time. Yeah, I haven't read any books since then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the trickiest part. I've got uh, I've got a seven year old and oh, a, a little girl who's like two, I guess. Now. Oh, that's amazing. And all I know is I haven't slept in seven years. Yeah. And uh, potty training is a funny situation. Yeah, we're just getting to the teething part, which is is it a girl or a boy? Boy, boy. See what I've noticed. I don't know if this is a thing. Maybe I'll I'll hit you up in a year and find mm. out. I, I've noticed that my daughter is actually I think she's smarter than my son. <laughs> And I think I've just I've just written him off now. So I'm just like you know like I'm, I'm banking it's a good on thing her he doesn't now. listen to this podcast. <laughs> he oh, he's like he's great at video games and stuff, and he sits around uh-huh. playing PS4 all day. Right, and he's very good at that. But then when it comes to like his schoolwork, and I'm and so I'm like, right. if hopefully the future is video games, and he's living in a <laughs> virtual world because he'll be really good at that. Right. But I'm noticing my daughter like picking up language quicker and uh, doing certain things faster. And, yeah. But the boys are very uh, destructive. <laughs> There's a point where you have to put everything, like all your DVD player, all that stuff has right. to just be sort of like five feet off the ground so right. they don't yank at the cables. Yeah, his little mouth is like a black hole and he's just trying to <laughs> grab everything to get it into his mouth at this point. Yes. But it's a great feeling. It's like simultaneously the the best. It can be so frustrating and so amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and those moments happen so close to each other. Right. That collection of feelings is what humanity feels like in a new kind of way. Like I hadn't felt humanity profoundly family until you know uh the the exhaustion and and you know the smiles and the, like putting that together it makes you feel very alive in a, in a specific kind of way that i yeah. didn't feel before being a parent it'll be interesting to see how that sort of affects you with the, your creative output yeah because i noticed too like with kids that's the one thing not that i'm a evil person but definitely i it's <laughs> a good way to start well but definitely like i it, it like opened up a new valve in my oh, heart right. metaphorically that yeah. i didn't uh no was there right because you, you've you've loved people before and you go like i know what that is and right. then the second there's this thing that's actually dependent on you right all of a sudden it's like this other chamber opens up and it's just and you go oh this is what right oh this is like and it's a it's it's a very i guess it's sort of instinctual too but right you know you don't sleep but sometimes i didn't want to like sometimes i would wake up in the night just to go check to see right. that he was okay and like mm. and i was like annoyed that i'm like i really want to sleep but at the same time i i'm saying stay up and make sure to make sure he's okay and right. a little like with the second kid you're kind of like yeah we got this right but, right. <laughs> but it's still but it's still right. there and it's it's weird right uh, yeah i was i was shocked at how I, I used to think you needed to like be a good moral person to be a good parent but you you don't it's so instinctual it circumvents all of that stuff it's mm-hmm. a direct wire to you yeah it's great and shocking and and uh humbling and and fun yeah, yeah. well cool man well look yeah i want to go nap. rest the voice Tim has been sitting here just putting on his sweater Tim's going, like, very, when's, when's my turn? Polite. I got lots of uh, production things to talk to you about, though. So. Here we go. Thanks very Let's much. get man. it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love nerd boys. Let's do this. <laughs> you, you excited about Clone Wars uh, getting a new season? Oh, yeah. This new Clone Wars season. <laughs> here we go. What do you want to talk about? Well, man. Kick drums and shit. <laughs> well, why don't, we, uh, uh, why don't we talk about the future, man? Uh, you got any 
plans and the old mm, noggin might be something. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're um, we're planning the next album, and I mean we've spoken about it very briefly to you know a little bit to, to some fans about this album. Kids is a part of a larger whole the next album is going to tie into that we're looking at it i mean without saying too much but we've been looking at it as the progression of someone growing up so the next one if kids was kids on bikes the freedom of being young and youthful and running around with friends and it's carefree and you don't have to worry about anything the next one is sort of the moody teenager who's a little bit rebellious and has to deal with sex and heartbreak and finding yourself and the anxiety of that there's it's gonna be a lot more emo Mm. (laughs) i guess uh but also the kind of moody teenager that shuts the door to his room and just wants to surf the web and you know not speak to his or her parents and all that stuff and dealing with loneliness and sadness and who you are and and being super introverted but then also the need to connect with your friends or your peers at that age group and so from a producer's perspective i'm really stoked to it's going to be much more vapor wavy. I don't even know if that's the right word because I'm taking vapor wave and putting it through my own filter. So whatever it'll sound like, but well, if you're making actual original music, yeah. because a lot of the vapor waves, maybe that isn't vapor well, wave. <laughs> see, this is what I'm trying to figure this out because the, the community of people that listen to my show, a lot of them like vapor wave, mm-hmm. and so I've asked them. I've said, send me some because I don't really get that genre because mm. it sounds like just '80s music kind of slowed down. I think it is to a certain extent. So, so I'm trying to find. I'm I'm on a quest right now because I'm look, man. I want to be more, uh, you know, broaden my horizon. Be hip. Yeah, be hip yeah, exactly. Be... Now that my hair is going all gray, I want to be that guy. who's like pretending to be You're the high school student. Rocking that Clooney look. Yeah. I can respect it. <laughs> So I'm sort of trying to find the people who are sort of making original music, but still with that same sort of the aesthetic and all this stuff and the, sure. the sorts of sounds. I think that's a good point. I mean, that's what, what how I will approach it because I don't find it as interesting to take a famous Michael Jackson song and pitch it down and call it a new track, honestly. <laughs> you don't think that's cool? Yeah, there's a lot. And it, it might sound cool, but I and I, it's weird. I, as a producer and a songwriter who comes from the, a different school of writing. Well, I figured I'd be offended as a producer because it's very lazy. It's laziness. Well, that's what I don't, I don't get offended, but, uh, but I get, I, to me, it's a low hanging fruit and I don't think I could call that a new piece of work, even though I do recognize that something pitched down is giving me a different feeling. And I love that. I love sampling stuff and pitching it down. And that's cool. But I, I need to do something more to it, to bring something new to it, to make it a new work. Mm. But obviously we can't just do that at the level we're at we can't just take a huge song and pitch it down and not pay royalties and like that's just not how it works yeah, we're yeah. in the music business and you know you can't just steal music left and you can do that if you put it on YouTube and stuff mm-hmm. uh, or if you're a small artist that is putting stuff I found stuff on Spotify where I'm like how did this Madonna song get pitched out and no yeah. one caught it but <laughs> maybe there's algorithms that didn't catch it for me that's been my biggest problem trying to sift through the stuff that people sent me because I don't always know the references and mm. so I'll listen to a song and say that's cool and then someone will be like oh that's just this you know some obscure 80s R&B song that I didn't know about and so totally. so for me I'm, I'm always apprehensive about even playing any of it because I, I don't want to be the yeah. fool who gets had no that's that's a really good point obviously uh, by the way you have a spider coming down above your head right now you awesome. only watched out well hold on this uh, is, these are the kind of spiders that give you superpowers buddy. you know what oh yeah you could get <laughs> real lucky yeah, is this the look one? at him. He's trying to get the get bitten. I don't want to be a spider. Just wants to hang out with you. He's looking for friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could use, I could use some more friends. Uh, look, uh, how about we we listen to one more track and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. So uh, this was one that Tyler talked about earlier. This is Wave by the Midnight. 
king of marketing, one of today's greatest marketing triumphs in the entertainment field is video games. It's a business which has tripled in size in just three years. Ron Hendren went out the field to bring us this special report. All over the country, armies of young people are blasting away at invaders from outer space and paying for the privilege. I'll be looking at the electronic game craze, which has not only fascinated the nation, but which has created some interesting problems as well. Although it looked innocent enough, this machine turned out to have some unusual powers. It kept kids mesmerized for hours. We are not a sentimental age We don't want our parents trying to order ticket tape parades We are not a sentimental age We're all getting high on five escapes We are hooking up with strangers we will never see again We are not a sentimental age We are not a sentimental age
And that was Wave by The Midnight. And I'm here with The Midnight right now, Tim and Tyler, although Tyler is taking a nap. But, uh, Tim, you were talking about uh, the direction of the sound going forward, and uh, we've been chatting a bit about Vaporwave. So what do you think it is that you connect with about that sound? I think uh, in terms of Vaporwave, to me, it's a feeling that I'm latching onto is the kind of the empty promise of capitalism that, that never worked out. It's making fun of that. It's making fun of the, the inherent sort of Muzak aesthetic that you would hear in a mall or in a... Um, a dead mall. A that, dead mall. Or even something that's playing in an elevator when you're going up or down or whatever. And so there is that kind of like stay in our store buy stuff and it's like there's the calmness of that kind of 90 80s and 90s aesthetic of music trying to sound really calm and relaxing to not offend you mm-hmm. and there's a kitschiness to that that i really like it's sort of like late night shopping qvc channels and stuff and i i that's the kind of what i or i'm pulling it from mm-hmm. but i'm not so interested in finding songs and just sampling them pitching them down however it'll end up sounding we've got a good few songs written already and um yeah it's it's on the drawing board i'm gonna start work on it very soon and uh i'm really excited for it we don't have a title or anything yet but it's definitely gonna be like sonically it's gonna be cooler i want it to be a little edgier Mm. or a little bit cooler i guess is the right (laughs) i mean it's just yeah this kids couldn't be an album where it's like oh my god that's so edgy because like there needs to be an innocence to it a track like explorers and wave it's not going to be like the most progressive edgy sound because like that's not really the feeling of being young and carefree it's sort of like it's just everything's cool everything's fun Mm. and so i wanted that album to feel fun and wistful and slightly melancholic but this next one is going to be punchier and uh, there's going to be moodier tracks and there's going to be more rebellious tracks rebellious songs and uh it's gonna be fun i think that'll be a lot of fun for tyler because i know with this project and we talked about before i mean what i love about the 80s stuff and i know what you love about it too is sort of like stripping away like the irony the 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 pessimism and stuff from the 90s and just doing like straightforward like if i can bring this song to the max i'm just gonna do it kind of thing like how yeah. far can i go and i think when you when you're talking about where you want to go next and saying you know it's, that it's going to be emo, more emo and stuff like that it's definitely going to be emo that'll yeah. give that'll give tyler i think a lot of oh yeah fun right because if, if, oh, if, sure. if you don't hold back like if you write something and just go like this is so this is cheesy but then instead of saying delete this just go on let's actually roll with this and see how far we can push it yeah i mean i think i'm coming at i'm speaking obviously from the point of view as a producer but tyler's still writing the same way he always writes he comes and and he he knows the world in which we're moving but i don't think tyler's ever held back on like oh we can't talk about this or like he he's you know we're both feel very free to express ourselves but as a producer yeah you can certainly just go balls to the wall if you want sax or if you want it to be super neon-y or you want it to go you know I, I think this next album is just going to be I find it a little bit more interesting to push the envelope a little bit on what synthwave could be or what vaporwave is or whatever the term you want to put onto I'm not so interested in sticking within the boundaries of a given genre mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of current music and indie and whatever so I'm just doing what feels natural to me as a producer and uh, this next album is going to be something i want it to have the thing of where you can play it live you can play it in a club it could be played on a playlist or you can play it when you come home from a club i want it to live in that area Mm -hmm. which sounds like i'm trying to say it's got to be everything but i want it it's (laughs) going to kind of run the gamut of of human emotions (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, man. Well, look, it's great to have you guys in Toronto. It's lovely to meet you in person. It's great to meet you, man. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. So thanks for thanks for chatting. And thanks so much, Andy. This was a pleasure, man. I look thanks forward for to the out. show, and awesome. I look forward to uh, more of the midnight. We'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. Oh, that was fun. How do you feel? Good. I'm ready for some dinner. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming. Now, get him out. Get him out now. <laughs> Get him out and get me a goddamn latte. Where's my Fuck fucking out. latte? <laughs> Timothy? Punch him. Punch him now, Chris. By the way, this is our tour manager, Chris. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at me. Everything hurts. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And that was my conversation with the Midnight. That was a lot of fun. It was fun getting to uh, meet them in person and see them in concert. In concert. So we do. You, can you call it a concert? That's more of a show. It's a show. Yeah, I know. I always. I'm always confused what to say. I say gig. I say show because I've said concert a few times. And I go. That's not really a concert. I mean, a concert. What like is a- the actual definition of concert? Like, I wonder if there's a number value associated with I it. I don't know what the limitations are. That's a good question. I really don't know. I'll do this. I'll research and then I will let the listeners know next week because right now we gotta go man yes because it's uh, it's been a long show alrighty but uh look man it's uh, it's lovely when you join me <laughs> oh shit oh, I needed a good laugh <laughs> I don't even know what to say uh, It's always nice when I do join you I know <laughs> But look man You have a, you have a lovely weekend I'll try, dude. I'll uh, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, buddy. And everybody else, uh, thanks for listening to the show. It's it's always cool that you guys listen, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. And tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. All right, cool. You know what I mean? I do. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, listeners. Thanks for listening to Beyond Synth. If you would like to support Beyond Synth, please visit patreon.com forward slash beyond synth. And don't forget to check out Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Instagram. If you want to submit your music for the show, please email it to beyondsynth at gmail.com. Have a lovely day.